A mother was watching her four-year-old child playing outside, and it was a warm weather summer, and there was a small plastic pool half filled with water. He was happily walking back and forth across the pond, making big splashes, and suddenly he stopped, stepped out of the pool, and began to scoop water out of the pool with a pail. Why are you pouring the water out, Johnny? The mom asked. Because my teacher said Jesus walked in water, and this water won't work. I'd like you to turn to, let's see, Genesis, the book of Genesis. And we're going to start in chapter 3. I'm going to tell you a story about a plant in Australia. Out in the bush country, there's a little plant called sundew. It's a slender stem and tiny round leaves fringed with hairs that glisten with bright drops of liquid as delicate as fine dew. But woe to the insect, however, that dares to dance on it. Although the attractive clusters of red, white, and pink blossoms are harmless, the leaves are deadly. The shiny moisture on each of them is sticky and will imprison any bug that touches it. As an insect struggles to free itself, the vibration causes the leaves to close tightly around it, and this innocent-looking plant then feeds on its victim. We're going to talk about how that applies to us in dealing with sin and temptation. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, So the first thing we know here is that obviously we're not talking about your average garter snake, you know, because out here that's about all they have is garter snakes. Uh, Growing back up in North Dakota, we pretty much had garter snakes, bull snakes, and rattlesnakes. There is a difference. Now, bull snakes can get really big, and, you know, if you don't know it's there and you see it and you don't like snakes, it may make your heart stop and you may jump and all sorts of other things. It's a whole different thing when the snake's kind of standing a little upright and the little tail in the back rattles, right? <clears throat> so I don't know if, you know, how the serpent appeared in this particular case, whether it had a rattle or not, but nonetheless, it says in this case, uh, he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Notice the first things that come out of here is his word attacking what God said. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So the second thing we notice is, she lies. She added to God's word. I don't know if you know about this, but God says three times, don't add to and take away from God's word. That's just not a good place to go. And even worse for those who are Bible correctors that have spent their lives doing that and they're saved, well, you and God are going to have some special things because if you look in Revelation chapter 22 at the end, uh, there's a special little section for you there. And then it says, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. That's not what he said. We have to be careful what we say. We don't know... Understand, Adam was given that command. Adam passed it on to Eve. One of the things that we as Christians need to make sure is we're passing the correct words on to the next person. Because it doesn't matter what we think, it matters what God said. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Could she touch it? You know, I don't know about you. This is really simple. You're going through, you know, just go to Walmart, go over to where the checkout aisles and watch kids go by and there's candy and they're just touching everything in sight, you know, touching things, you know, there are times to teach kids not to touch things. Self-control is a good thing. Um, here in this case, so that's not what God said. You can touch it. Just don't eat it. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, or sorry, verse 4, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. See, once again, attacking what God said. That's not what's going to happen to you. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So now here's a partial. He's telling partial the truth. Because every kid learns, if you're going to tell your parents a lie, the best lie to tell them is something that has some truth in there that you can wrap it up and send it on to your parents. Why did you do wherever this? Well, you've got to wrap a little bit of a truth in there because if you tell just a blatant lie, most of the times your parents are smart enough to figure it out. 
But if you can wrap enough truth in there so there's just a little bit of lie with a lot of that truth, you know, that will go across a lot better. And that's what we're seeing here. And when we look at this in verse 6, it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Uh, this is, uh, if you study Bible typology, that's why we understand the fig tree is a type of righteousness, a lot of, in this case, self-righteousness. We're going to take these fig leaves and make a garment all together, and then we're going to be righteous and okay. We're covering up the our nakedness and all this other stuff. But that's not what God said to do. And when we look at this, the first things we have to look at in this verse is that she saw with her eyes that the tree was good for food. That's an example of the lust of the flesh. You know, this is, uh, this could be, uh, I don't know, maybe you're going to, uh, your favorite grocery store and over in the deli section or some other section is, or maybe it's the dessert section. There is something that you really like. And you, when you walk by it, your eyes just lock onto that thing and you're staring at it and going, wow, that would be good. I need that. You know, I, maybe some triple chocolate cake that's got enough calories to put you into a diabetic state in about three seconds flat. I, you know, I don't know what that is for you, uh, whatever that may be. Uh, but she saw it and it appealed to her flesh. The second thing that with seeing we see here is that it was pleasant to the eyes. It looked good. I don't know about you, but there's some dishes I've had in my life that did not look good, but they tasted good. They were great, but they didn't look so good. Um, you know, sometimes I've made some things in the kitchen and, you know, they don't necessarily turn out right. Although usually when I do those kinds of things, the taste follows how it looks. If it doesn't look good, it probably doesn't taste good. But nonetheless is we can see here about how her eyes are the start of the problem. She's looking at something, and right away she sees two positives. It is good for food. On top of that, it looks good. I mean, this is like going to, you know, one of them high-class, you know, in Seattle or grocery stores where they, all the fruit there is perfect. It's the right color. It's the right shape. They're all the same size. And, by the way, you're going to pay for that uh, a lot. But, you know, it all it just all looks good. Even the fruit and vegetables that you don't like. You know, maybe you don't like certain vegetables, but you look at it, it's like, that looks good. I know if I eat it, I'm not going to like it, but, you know, it looks good. But she's saying, in this case, whatever this thing was, and the world tries to portray it as an apple, I don't think it is. That's, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that tells you specifically what it is. I think there's some allusions to it. I think there's some types involved that can tell us what it is. That's a message for another time, and if you don't know the answer... That's a good question to bug your pastor with and let him teach the lesson. <laughs> when he gets better, though, you know, not right now. Um, but the next thing we know, and then the desire kicked in after she saw it and said, it will make me wise. It will make me better. You know, there are a lot of things out there. You can be watching one of them late night uh, cable shows and, ooh, look at that. I need that now. You know, I don't know what it is. I've never seen it before, but I have to have it now. My kitchen or my whatever, I need to have that. And by the way, I can pay in payment plans and all this other stuff so I can have it now, right? And then, uh, you know, maybe you're like, well, quickly, I'll try Amazon and I'll see how much it costs there. Ooh, it's cheaper here. You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, All those things that you can do, but it was the make one wise. It's the pride of life. You know, maybe it's one of those things where, uh, you, you know, you want one more decoration than the neighbor does for Christmas. So you're looking for all those sales because it's not Christmas season for things that are on sale that you can add to your front lawn to make it look like a whole theatrical presentation so you can out Jones the Joneses. You know, you know, maybe that's your thing. Maybe it's something else. But one of the things to remember is right now, before we get to this part in chapter three, Eve is in a perfect environment. Have you thought about what that must be like? A perfect environment. One specifically made for her and Adam. Uh, her husband only had eyes for her. 
I mean, well, let's just face it. There weren't, any, there wasn't anybody else to look at, but I mean, nonetheless is she was the apple of his eye, uh, in that particular case. He thought she was the only one for him and he thought she was perfect and she was. All the food was gluten free. You could eat whatever you wanted. There was no gluten in any of it. There's no peanuts in any of it because you could only eat fruit in the garden, just as a, you know, asterisk. Um, and by the way, the fruit was tasty. It wasn't one of those like right now, I don't know about you, but where we live, we have a lot of blackberries and you go out there and it could be a blackberry, but if it just doesn't pop right off, you don't want it. Well, maybe you do because you're one of those people like I'm really tart and, you know, whatever. I'm No, not for me. I want that thing to just barely touch it and it comes off. It's like, okay, now it's sweet and ready to go, right? Imagine what it's like when all the fruit is that way. You come up and you just barely touch the apple and it just pops right off. And you bite into it. It's, it's juicy and it's got all, you know, whatever your favorite flavor of apple is. You know, it's in season all the time. You can go back to that same tree and there's continually more fruit there. Um, you can also think about the fact that on top of that, dessert was everywhere because all you had was fruit. It was all sweet. It was all tasty. And by the way, it didn't add to your figure. On top of that, your husband was perfect. I mean, right then and there. He didn't have any bad habits to unlearn. Right? He didn't, he wasn't raised this way with his mom and his dad and his brothers and sisters and learn all these bad habits. And then you got married and now you got to teach him, we do not do that this way anymore. Uh, didn't have any of the other things like growing up. One of the things my wife had to learn about when going to visit my parents was every time you walked into the kitchen, you had to go, where is stuff? Cause my mom liked to move stuff around and it did not necessarily logically make sense where she moved stuff to. You're like, I just want silverware and you're over here in your checking drawer. And it's like no sense. Cause you know, at least with my wife, she's usually logical. It's like, it's going to be closest to where you need it at. Right. Not with my mom. That had nothing to do with it. Uh, you had no, it's like you just had to go. It was, it's like going to, I don't know about you guys, but we used to have yard birds up where we live at and Wal, and Walmart just did it. They moved everything around. So now I can't find anything. I don't know where anything is. Um, but, but, uh, yard birds back when we had, there was this huge general store essentially. And once a year they would go and they would move departments around and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, Oh no, they moved everything again. And now I got to figure out where it is. It's not like that. It's like, because everything was just there. It's just, it was always going to be in the same place. Um, think about the fact that he didn't wear clothes that were embarrassing to you. I mean, he didn't have any bad habits. He didn't have clothes that were 20 and 30 years out of date. He didn't have that. Like my dad has this one sweater he's had since college days. He loves that sweater. My mom absolutely hates it. She has tried to get rid of that sweater more times than I can count. But my dad loves that sweater. I think part of the reason is he loves it now even more just because of the fact that she doesn't. <laughs> Not saying that guys ever do anything like that. I'm just saying that's what I observed with my dad. Um, on top of that, um, let's just look at the fact is that his family approved of her. Uh, there are some families, let's just face it, that the in-laws don't always get along. Well, his parents loved her, thought she was great, thought she was the perfect person for him. Then there's Adam. Well, Adam had the perfect wife, a job that was probably so easing and fulfilling that there could be all sorts of things. Think about this. There's no shopping malls. You did not have to get up and drive your wife to a shopping mall so she can go shopping for however many hours on end while you stand out and, you know, outside the shop sitting on a bench slowly atrophying and your muscles are shrinking up and all the other things that are going on. There weren't any. On top of that, uh, there was no run to the store to buy stuff that, let's just face it, after you get married, you have to go to the door and buy stuff that you either didn't know existed or you didn't ever want to have to go to the store and buy. Because that's going to happen. And if you have kids, there's the whole other thing. There's things when you run out of diapers and you realize... That it's, it's like you open the bag and there are no diapers left. You know, that's not a good place to be, especially when the other one decided to, let's just say, exceed the, the restraining amount that that little diaper can hold. And there you are with no diapers. Those kinds of things. 
Um, there's also the fact that, look, there was no lawn to be mowed. There was no garbage for him to take out. Uh, there were, you didn't have to repaint and refix and re, re, all do with all this other kinds of things. On top of that, there was no mobile device. So, you know, the wife didn't have to complain to the husband because he's on the computer or he's watching TV or he's, they, none of that existed. Uh, there was no, uh, let's face it, there was no shoes there, you know, cause some guys are really into shoes and, and their clothes and they're very particular and they gotta have just that didn't have any. You know, there's no little device, you know, walking through the trails and, you know, having branches hitching your head, whatever you're going around through a little mobile. There was no mobile device. None of that. Um, not only that, there weren't any mosquitoes and leeches, ticks, all those other wonderful little creatures that are out there, you know, that want to, you know, bite you, sting you, suck your blood, whatever the case may be. There wasn't any of that out there. Imagine what it's like that you could just go lay down anywhere and you didn't have to worry about spiders coming up and biting you and all this other stuff. You could just lay down and take a nap anytime you wanted. You know, you could have gone out there and had you a whole smorgasbord of all this different fruit, decided it is a good place for a nap and just lay down there in the nice comfy grass that did not have to be mowed. You know, because it wasn't like Moses was out there with one of those old mechanical lawnmowers going, you know, or, you know, if it gets deeper. Or, you know, or if you've got the really fancy ones, then you just have to push down to flip it up, set it down, back up, you know, mow it over a couple times because you let it go too hot. Didn't have any of that. John Piper says that sin, lust, for example, gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it or have it. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. And the sad thing is, is it's not going to make you happier. Yeah, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but it's only for a season. And sometimes payment comes due. And that's unfortunate is we have got to a society now where we don't take the long look at things. We don't think about what it's going to be like one year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if I do whatever. I know I've made some decisions that way, not taking the long look in my own life. Uh, some that I regret more than others. But that's not all. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2 and verse 16 says... For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So all these things that are tempting you, understand, that's not coming from God. That's coming from the world. The present evil world that we live in. What it really likes to do is take something that's good and twist it. And that's usually how you know the devil's involved in it. It's kind of like telling a lie where you wrap it up with a little bit of truth. But it's the same thing with the world is the devil likes to take something that's good and just mess it up a little. You know, it's kind of like the old saying, uh, if you take a glass of water and let's say you just go out to the car or you, you know, and rub your hand underneath the car somewhere and dip your hand in that water a little bit, do you want to drink it now? That's what the devil and sin does to something that's good. Consequence, you can take the most pure, clean, purified water known to mankind, and you have this other cup over here that's got some nasty sludge stuff in it, and you pour that good water in there, it doesn't clean it up. It doesn't make it better. It probably reduces the percentage of ickiness in there, but it's still icky. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but maybe your mom liked to feed you prune juice as a kid. Anybody here like prune juice? Just curious. Okay, so... There are different conditions you could have as a kid, and one of the cheap remedies was prune juice. I don't care how much you water it down, prune juice does not taste good, at least not to me. And it, Hey, if you like it, God bless you. Go in grace. I do not. Um, I don't even like things that are like prunes. They got these things called raisins, and I'm not a big fan. Now, I like grapes, like if they're fresh and they're green or blue without the seeds, because, you know, I don't want to go through that much work of having to spit out the seeds. And I like them to be crunchy, and I like them to have flavor. I, you know, after you dry them, I'm just not quite that as much interested in them anymore. And I don't care if you hide that in a cake or a roll, still don't like it. That's me. You might. 
Not judging anybody on that. I'm just saying that's just the way I am. Let's turn over 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to look in verse 13. It says, There hath, past tense, no temptation taken you, but such as is what? Common to man. But God is what? Faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So one of the things I noticed in here, just looking at that, is God says, will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but he's going to make a way. Here's the difficulty is, that means you got to do it his way. That means whatever you think you're doing, the way you want to go, you have to get rid of that and then choose God's way. That's the hard part. Sometimes we get into ourselves into some places of temptation, our own temptation, and we're like, what we need to do is just go, Lord, this is too much for me. You know it. Show me the way out. You know, and let's just be honest. There are times when we're presented with things, what we need to do is turn and run the other way as fast as we can. Or we need to drop on our knees and go, oh God, please help me. Because you know, I'm weak in this area. I don't have the strength I need to deal with this. I need you to make a way for me to get out of it. Because in and of myself, I can't. And everybody here has fallen to temptation of one kind or another. You know, it could be as simple as a temptation as, well, I got this letter and it's, and it says I could win millions of dollars if I just open up publisher's clearinghouse thing and, you know, I could win all this money. What is it? It's a temptation not to be satisfied with what God already gave you. Have you ever thought how your life would change if you actually had a whole bunch of money? You would have all these friends and family members that would come out of the woodwork. What do they want? They want a handout. They want money. They want this. They want that. They don't want, they, they wanted nothing to do with you. But now that they perceive there's something they might be able to get from you, now they want to be your friends. Now they want to be your close acquaintance. Now they want to be all these other things. It could also be that that money, if you were to get it, would take your eyes off the Lord and you'd be stuck on you and the temptations that you have would greatly change. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, back in the late 90s, I was working with a guy and we were talking one time about what it would be like to make what the doctors made. And I was just telling him, you know, and because we kind of knew the ballpark of what the doctors were making. It's like, wow, you know, the first house my wife and I bought was $50,000. We're like, well, after the first month, I could pay for our house. After the second month, I could pay every bill, buy new vehicles, and whatever else I wanted to do. That's after the second month. And from then on, it's just pure profit, you know, that you're making all this money. And so then the thought was, well, how much would that change you? And he's like, I don't think it'd change me. I'd be like, I know it'd change me. And he goes, what do you mean? I know that if I had that kind of money... And if God didn't help me, I'd be the person to be driving up to McDonald's and waiting in line going, hey, can you hurry up there? You know, or you get up to the thing and they're like, can you please wait? No, I can't wait. I'm in a hurry. Right. How would it change you if you actually got that? See, sometimes we don't think about the fact is whatever this temptation is, if you actually got it, what would it actually really do to you? How would it change you? What? are all the repercussions that would happen with that. Now, obviously, if God wants you to get to, you know, if God has laid on your heart that you want to give me a large sum of money, you know what? It's better to give than receive. For your benefit, I'll be willing to accept it. But do we often think about how all these different temptations are out there will change us and we won't be who God wants us to be anymore? We'll get our eyes off of the Lord and they'll, they'll just draw the, our eyes back into ourselves or back into us and off of Him. And how the Lord doesn't want things to be that way. Turn over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to go down to verse 13. In verse 13, it says, let no man 
Say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. For when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't make a mistake. Don't make an error. Don't follow these things. Ask God to help you when you're dealing with the temptation and whatever that temptation is your life, whether it's the pride of life, you know, I, me, I deserve this. Don't they know who I am? All those kinds of things. Whether it's the lust of the eye. Ooh, that's nice. I mean, I know I can be driving down the freeway and I can see certain old cars that I really like. Ooh, that's nice. I would like to have that. You know, it really, the only difference with, at least in a lot of ways is, the only thing that has changed from me being a little kid walking through the candy aisle going, ooh, candy, is now I just have different things I look at and go, ooh, that's nice. I'd like to have that, right? And then we also have the thing that lust of the flesh. You know, I would really like to have that California King mattress that adjusts its temperature all night long and can, you know, adjust all the settings to where they can be firmer or less firm, depending how my back is feeling on that particular day. And while I'm at it, let's make it one that, you know, like tilts up so it makes it easier for me to get out of bed if I'm lazy or, you know, whatever else. It's like all the, it doesn't take much. You know, in, in the old days to really do it, you needed the Sears catalog, right? You could pull out the Sears catalog because it was this big, huge, for some of you that are too young to know, they used to have this big, huge catalog that you could get that was like the ultimate Christmas thing because it had everything known to mankind. You used to be able to buy houses out of Sears catalogs. My dad bought one of his first guns out of a Sears catalog. Now, I can pick up a mobile device and buy and get many more things than I ever could have dreamt of in a Sears catalog because a Sears catalog only had Sears catalog stuff. You know, Sears brand this or whatever the brands were that they carried. I can go on the internet and I can buy almost anything and have it shipped to me. And a lot of times it might be coming from Taiwan or China or wherever, and I can have it delivered to my little podunk house out in the country. And, you know, right now it just got so bad. It's like I'm used to seeing UPS, FedEx, and Amazon trucks going down our road Multiple times a day. The availability of what can tempt us is way more than it used to be. On top of that, if that's not good enough for you, just flip on the TV. The ads will help you know that you were missing something that you really need for your life. And it's even got so bad now that when you flip it on, they're going to help you know that if you have any medical condition whatsoever of any kind, they have a drug somewhere with a long litany of side effects that makes you really question why you'd ever want to have it. But they're going to make sure you know it's available and you need to talk to your doctor about this. I don't know about you, but that's the last piece of advice that I want to get is somebody who's selling something. You know, I wish we had the rules like they had in England where insurance companies and medical uh, pharmaceutical companies cannot advertise. Of course, that would ruin most of the advertising we have in America anymore. But think about, you watch a TV show, what do you realize? I'm going to give you some general things. If you're a dad, you're an idiot. If you're a mom, you're smart. If you're a kid, your parents are repressing you. They're just not letting you be the best you you can be. All those kinds of things. What is that? Temptation to follow a lie and not be content with what you have. Think about the people out there that have grown up in some very bad situations. If they can be content with their life where it is right now after having grown up through a whole bunch of bad things, what excuses do we have that everything went essentially well? Uh, There are young people that got married and their spouse in their 20s is gone. What's our excuse? Do we actually appreciate the spouse that we have? Not enough. I, I can say beyond a shadow of doubt, I have never told my wife enough that I love her, that I care for her, that I'm thankful for her, that I appreciate all the work that she does. I can't. Because even if I started from right now and do a better job magically than I do now, it'll never pay for all the stuff in the past. Well, it's the same thing with God. We can never tell God, thank you enough. Have you ever thought about when a temptation comes to stop and go, you know what, Lord? 
yeah, I know this thing's for this, this new car I'd really like to have that has all these features, like it'll park for me, it'll drive for me, it'll do this for me, and all this other stuff that they have now. I'm thankful that my vehicle still runs. I'm thankful that when I go in there, and I put the key in, because mine's so old you put keys in, it's not like the little fobs, you know, or the ones where you just have to have it in the general area and then press a button to start. Mine, you have to insert the key, and then you have to, you, you got the first click. That doesn't get the car started. That's just the little lights and other stuff that comes on. And you click it one more, and guess what? You do not want to hear the click, 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 click sound. I don't know about you, but that's a great way to ruin your morning. Or even worse, you go click, and there's nothing at all. Or if you really want to be tortured... You click it and it's one of those where it's, you're this grinding noise and it's slowing and slowing and slowing down on that starter till it's dead. And then you're like, uh oh. How often are we just not thankful for what God already gives us and gets us from point A to point B? How often I go to a fridge that's completely packed full of food, crammed in there, cause I have two girls at home. And they like to cook and do different stuff and bring stuff home. And it's just full of stuff from top to bottom. Like, yeah, I can't find anything. The whole thing's full, right? I'm not in a third world country going, I hope to get a piece of bread today. Um, You know, there's other things. I can go to my bathroom, shut the doors. I can do whatever I need to do. And I can flush the toilet and the water flows and takes it out of my house. That's an amazing thing. Because, see, when I grew up, we still had outhouses out in the old family uh, homestead. That's the one my dad put locks on and charged his brother's money to get into. (laughs) But I can tell you what, you have a really high appreciation for bathrooms if you've never had to use the outhouse in two different times of the year. The middle of summer when it's really hot and stinky, because you open that door and... Yeah, they didn't have all the flowery stuff like at the porta potties. It's just whatever it smelled like, it smelled like. The other time was in the middle of winter when it's freezing cold. Because it's like, you know, 20 below zero outside. Guess what? It's 20 below zero inside. How thankful are you for plumbing and all the other things that work in your house most of the time? You could be in a foreign country. I can remember being in the Navy. I was in, I think, I can't remember if it was Italy or the France the first time. You know, we'd gone out and uh, rented a car and went driving out and about and around. And we stopped in this village and we were in this restaurant and we decided to go to the restroom. And I opened the door and all you see is tile floors and a whole bunch of holes. I don't know about you, but I was really thankful for being in the other towns that had real restrooms. Uh, you could be like uh, the Russells down to Mexico. So for them, they have running water and all the other stuff, but you can't flush anything down it. So that means if you, they have garbage cans right next to the toilet, because if you have to go, then all of your paper waste has to go in the garbage can. Praise God for, you know what, throw the paper in there and hit the button. Unless you have little kids that, you know, are like a cat that want to go blah, 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 like that and just fill up the whole toilet. That's not cool. But praise God, we can just press the button and it's out of there until it's not. And then you have to hire somebody to come and deal with all those problems. But have you thought about how wonderful that is living here in America with all the things? You have ceiling fans here. You have air conditioning here. You have windows that allow the flow of air through here. Uh, one of the times when I went down to... Uh, Hawaii in the reserves, I was in a concrete building. Or no, back up. Never mind. That one had cross flow. In Florida, when I went there in 1986, I was in a completely concrete block building that had windows on one side. So as you're there at a hundred and some degrees outside in the middle of Florida, and I mean Orlando, like middle of Florida, living right next to two big lakes that had gators, by the way, as if you're in the Orlando area and there's water, just expect there to be a gator in there. Just word of wise to the wise. Just assume there's a gator in there in some size of small to very big, depending on the amount of water. But nonetheless, there, you would do, you would go in and you'd take a shower. You'd get out of the shower and I would walk from about here to here. This is where the sink would be at. I would already be just soaked in sweat. 
And because if you open one window, that doesn't help you. You don't have any cross blurries through. What we had to hope for is if we opened the door and opened the window, that the wind would be blowing the right way. We'd get some ventilation through there. The problem with that is that just encouraged all the bugs to come in then. Because we didn't have screens. So that means if you open them up, all the mosquitoes and cockroaches and every other little, you know, because let's just face it, all the big bugs, they like hot and humid. Uh, they love being down there. How thankful that I am that you got screen windows here. They're great. Unless you're in Minnesota where they have the ones that will just rip those off and laugh at you as they come in. You know, because some of the mosquitoes there get pretty big. You know, when they come by, you can feel the wind flow besides just the noise because they're so big. Praise God we don't have anything like that. Have you ever thought about temptation about what your success rate is? Have you thought about how you emotionally feel when a temptation comes into your life? Uh, there was a study done, and they talked about the odds against bowling a perfect 300 game are about 225,000 to 1. One bowler, uh, bowler appropriately collapsed when he qualified to join that brotherhood of 300. It means he bowled a 300, and he collapsed because the emotional impact it was on him. Another one couldn't bring himself to play uh, play the final ball of an otherwise perfect game. Instead, he silently packed his shoes, ball, and bag and walked out. We're the same way. We do the same thing, except it's a real temptation in our life, not just a game. When we're under the stress of things are going, because that's really when temptation really has a great opportunity to really mess you up. What? When you're stressed when things aren't normal, when you're feeling like you're in a pressure cooker, when all these things are against you, when all this stress and stuff in your life is, and you're like, well, it's pleasure for sin in a season. I could go for just a season. Turn over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. While you're turning there, I'm going to read you back from James chapter 1. The verse says, Blessed is a man that endureth temptation. Have you ever felt blessed for being in a temptation? I mean, just be real honest with yourself. Have you ever thought when a temptation came into your life that God says, I'm giving you the opportunity for a blessing right now? It's before you. You just have to reach and grab it. Are you going to give up that blessing so you can have something carnal and worldly? Romans and chapter 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that she should obey it in the lusts thereof. When it comes to these temptations, we're not supposed to let it have the mastery of us, but it does for a lot of people. A lot of people are enticed by things. Alcohol, drugs are the two examples that are so easy to see and see how they affect our society. See how much they have done damage to families, to people, to individuals, and how much they reign over a person's life. I told you before, I have a cousin who's one year younger or less than a year younger than I am who's been involved with drug and alcohol since he's been a teenager. It has complete mastery over him. That's why we need to be careful. Turn over to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 13. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. One of the problems that we have is we don't see sin as exceedingly sinful. Well, it's not that bad. It's not as bad as this other thing I could do. It's not as bad as so-and-so. And God says, I want you to see and understand that all sin is exceedingly sinful. You cannot take anything that is sinful and just say, well, you know, it's just a little one. God says, you can break my law in one place, you broke them all. So whatever that little temptation is that's making havoc of your life, God says that to me is no different than the worst temptation that you can possibly think of. There's no difference. 
And God yet told you, as we already looked, it's an opportunity for a blessing. Turn over to Psalm chapter 119. Psalm chapter 119. Psalms chapter 119, which is the biggest chapter uh, in your Bible that's just filled with all sorts of stuff about God's word, says in verse 11, Thy word I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. One of the avenues you have available to you to help you with temptation is find a verse Find some verses, memorize them, commit them to your heart so that when something comes up, it's like, hey, I remember it. It's this verse. Claim that verse. You know that God's trying to provide you a way out. Pray about it. And here's the other thing. You're going to fail. I know this is a big surprise to you as a Christian, but you're going to fail. Don't let it be. You don't have to view that as the end of life like I'm a complete failure. Because if that's the case, I'm already a complete failure. We might as well leave. Why? Because I've failed him so many times, over and over again. But he says, guess what? Get back up, get back in the fight, and don't use the past as an excuse. Yes, you've lost this battle, but you don't have to lose the next one. And by the way, if you're continually losing, then maybe you need to change your tactics. Maybe you need to get in your Bible more. Maybe you need to pray more. Maybe you need to go to some brethren that you love and have a close relationship with and say, hey, please pray for me. I'm having a hard time. You don't have to give them all the details. You just say, look, I'm having a hard time. I I just have this issue. Can you just pray for me? You know, and if that's too much work for you, you just go up to him saying, look, I have an unspoken prayer request. Could you please pray for me? Take advantage of spiritual warfare that you have available to you. I tell all the people all the time, if you have spiritual warfare going on, the best thing you can do is get yourself a Bible on MP3, CD, DVD, I don't care what cassette tape, reel-to-reel, 8-track, whatever works for you, put it on in your house and just let it play. Let it play. Because that's going to get rid of some stuff in there that doesn't want to be around where the Word of God is spoken. Reading it can be a great help to us. An ancient rabbi said that sin begins as a spider's web and becomes a ship's rope. You and I add these strands that change the spider's web into a rope, but because we add just one strand at a time and because each one is usually so small, we don't realize that we're, what we're constructing. Sometimes, on the other hand, the growth seems to happen almost of its own accord. It's as if we planted a seed in the soil of the soul by some small act of sin, and without our seeming to attend to it or care for it, it develops into a full-grown tree, sometimes a forest. And understand that the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted like we are. Imagine not eating for 40 days and 40 nights and then being tempted to the devil, and he got the three big temptations that we go through. Uh, you can read about that in the book of Matthew. Um, and you can read about it uh, also in the book of Hebrews. Turn over to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There are some people out there, if you talk to them, they will tell you, I don't sin anymore. Yeah. Good, good luck with that one. God's calling you a liar. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice who you confess them to. You confess them to God, not to me. Not to brother and sister so-and-so, not to pastor so-and-so. You confess them to God because your sin is against a holy, righteous, perfect God. He's who you need to talk to. And by the way, if you want to be technically specific, you're praying to the Lord Jesus Christ because there's one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. In 1 John chapter 4, let's look in verse 9. It says, In this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through in or through him here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Go down to verse 15. 
Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. There are a lot of people in this world, and you may know some, that know the Bible. They know, they will tell you, I'm a sinner. I believe who God is, but the difference is, is the, the distance between the head to the heart. Your head may have all this knowledge, but if you never confessed the Lord Jesus Christ from the heart, from you to the Lord Jesus Christ one-on-one to say, God, I'm a sinner. I believe that you are God and man and that you died and were buried and resurrected the third day. And I want you to be my savior. I can't, there's nothing I can do to get into heaven. I need you to help me. It's like the old saying, Jesus Christ is not a crutch. He's a stretcher because you can't even limp your way into heaven. And what this verse is telling us is that we need to confess the fact that we need a savior because here's the part of it. If you don't confess to him, your sins are never going to get taken care of and you're going to bear them and you're going to go to hell and you're going to go to the lake of fire and you're going to burn for all eternity. Period. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. The only way around that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to first John chapter five, verse 10. He that believeth on the son of God hath the witness in himself. Jesus Christ said, I'll put my Holy spirit in you. If you'll confess me as your savior. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his son. It is not in a church. It is not in baptism. It's not in living a good life. It's not in cleaning, trying to clean yourself up and somehow to be presentable enough to God that he'll accept you. It is in nothing else other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it says, he that hath, past tense, the son hath, past tense, life. At the point you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, you had life, real life, spiritual life. He made you alive. Because remember, we talked about it in Genesis chapter 3. The devil said, you're not going to really die. And she didn't die immediately physically, but spiritually she died the instant she took that fruit. It's the same for us as when we take this, that fruit of sin and we eat it and we take it to ourselves, we die spiritually on the inside and we don't get a new birth until we confess Jesus Christ as our Savior and then he make, quickens you, he makes you alive, he makes you born again. Uh, back to First John chapter 5. He that hath the Son hath life and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Period. It's past tense. What did you do in the past? What are you doing right now with the Lord Jesus Christ? You either accepted him as your savior and you confessed him or you didn't. That's it. That's as simple as it gets to what's going to happen to you. Let's turn over to 1 John chapter 2. Or back to 1 John chapter 2, sorry. Look in verse 1. And it says, my little children. This is John at an advanced age. And he's talking to a whole bunch of believers. And he says, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Praise God. That means it's as simple as God saying, I've got a free gift for you. It's a get out of jail free card. All you have to do is take it. How do you take it? I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's all you have to do. God says, take it. Now understand, he's given that opportunity to take it to everybody. Romans chapter 1, if you go outside and you look at the glory and the majesty that God made of this earth, there is no way anybody with any logical reasoning skills can say this was an accident. You know there's somebody who created it. And God says, I've got this free gift. All you have to do is take it. And God's going to provide you opportunities to take it or not. And if you've rejected that opportunity and you said, just not yet, I need to clean myself up, you're never going to get clean enough. Uh, well, I need to fix this in my life. Yeah, you're never going to fix it. And then it's going to be everlastingly too late. Because all the problems we're talking about sin, God says if you're saved, he'll make a way out for you. But what are you going to do when you're going to cry out to him as a father and say, oh God, oh Father God, please help me. He's like, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. That's the scariest place to be. Imagine what it's going to be like in the future when God shows up on this earth and all these people have been living evil, wicked 
lives. And God is going to show up and they're going to see him and they're going to know who he is. And the Bible says they're going to be like trying to get the rocks and the mountains to cover them up and hide them from him. How are you going to hide from God Almighty? He already said, whether you go as far away as heaven or as far away as hell, I'm there. But it's too late at that point. That decision's already been made. Right now, we have that opportunity to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. Right now, we have the opportunity to be able to know about people and pray as a church family and pray as friends to go, please pray for brother or sister so-and-so. Pray for my aunt, my uncle, my grandkid, my niece, my nephew, this person I met, this person I gave a tract out at at a restaurant or something else. We have that opportunity now, but it is not forever. There is no, let's just face it, there's no guarantee any of us are going to walk downstairs and be alive by the time we get there. God does not owe you anything. And yet, he had so much love for you that he let his own son take your sins on his body and bear them on the cross to be tortured and mutilated so that you could have an opportunity. I don't know about you, there's a lot of people I like, but you want to take one of my boys and torture them and kill them for that person? God didn't do it just for that person. He did it for everybody. So if you're out there and you're listening to right today and you have never asked at Jesus Christ to save you, you've never made that confession. There are no words I could express more from my heart to wish that today would be the day that you would do that. That you would just take the time and go, Lord, you know what? It's obvious that I can't do it. Please save me. There's no greater words or no greater change in your life that will ever be made. Christian, if you're here and you're listening and you're having a problem with temptation, you have an advocate. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, look, when that temptation comes, I want to help you. But you have to let me help you. You have to let go control of your heart and you have to say, God, I want your will to be done. I'm tired of the way I'm doing it my way. I'm tired of failing. I'm tired of over and over again. And God, I know I've asked you to help me before. Please help me again. Please help me to have the victory. Please help me to get me out of the way so that I can see the way out. God says he's making a way, but that doesn't mean I'm looking for it or you're looking for it. Please, God, help me to look for that. So let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we know that you know every person here. You know the struggles and trials in their life. You know where their heart is at, Lord, and you know whether they're saved or not. And Lord, I pray for every person that's hearing this, Lord, that wherever they're at, Lord, if if they are lost, please, Lord, give them another chance. Please help them to understand, in spite of my, my futile attempt, Lord, my failings to express it, Lord, to show your love and your desire to help them, Lord, help them to see it through the Holy Spirit. Help them to understand how much you love them and you want them to get saved. Lord, if they're saved and they're battling a temptation in their life, Lord, I may not have given them the right words, Lord, even with the best attempt of my ability, Lord, but I know your Holy Spirit can speak to them, to to teach them and to talk to them and tell them and to help them far beyond anything I could ever possibly do or, or even dream of. So I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would minister to them right now where they're at. Help them, Lord, to stay in the fight. Help them to dust themselves off to get back into the battle another time, Lord. And when the temptation and the battle comes, Lord, help them to look up to you. Help them to pray and cry out to you, Lord, for the help that they need. And we ask all this through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.